Thank you so much. I am so thrilled to be here today. And first of all, I'd like to congratulate all of you students who have been chosen to be here. You've already achieved so much success in your lives, and I hope that this will be a source of tremendous pride for you for the rest of your lives. I'll tell you something else. Next to hosting Saturday Night Live, this is the scariest thing I've ever done. <laughs> They kept saying to me all week, don't worry about the monologue. Don't worry about it. Well, don't worry about it. That's all the guest host worries about. But they write it at the last minute. I'm an actress. At least they write it. I'm used to saying other people's words. But today I'm here to speak to you, Susan Lucci, to you who are at the beginning of your lives. When my daughter, who is 16, when my daughter was four years old, she asked me a question one day that made me laugh a lot and also gave me pause and makes me think a great deal even today. She said, Mommy, Uncle David is a doctor and Daddy is a doctor and Grandpa builds buildings and Grandma is a nurse, but you, Mommy, you're an actress. What good are you? <laughs> well, we entertain. That's what we do, and I love to entertain. And at best, with a really good director and a really good script, we help illuminate. And sometimes, on very rare occasions, when we get very lucky with a great director and a great script, sometimes there's a revelation, sometimes there's catharsis for those members of the audience and even for those on stage. Those are the really thrilling moments. What I wish for you is what I wish for my own children, and that's that you find out what you love to do in life, and you make that your life's work. I understand everybody has been giving you that advice. I think it's great advice. I'm doing what I've wanted to do since I was a little girl. I was very lucky that I knew what I wanted to do since I literally can remember. And when I say find out what you love to do, loving to do it means that it's fun and maybe means that it's part of who you are. I mean, I didn't know what an actress was or anything like that, but I do know that when I was dragged to church on Sunday, I had to make myself sit in my seat because I, I had this overwhelming urge to run up onto the altar and sing and dance. I was sure the people there would love to hear that more than what was going on. In any case, I'm reminded of, of the song from a chorus line, What I Did for Love, because it really is love. I mean, next to war correspondent and obstetrician, I'm in a business that's the most insecure and has the least reliable hours. We say that we don't work nine to five, we work five to nine, and then some. I mean, we work when everybody else is asleep and when everybody else is partying and when everybody else has a holiday, but I love it. And I even love being in a Winnebago on location in the rain at 2 a.m., making a quick costume change because I'm going to do another scene. I mean, I love it. And I count myself lucky that I got to grow up and have my dream come true, that dream of being an actress. What I'd like to say to you most is dare to dream your dreams. Dare to dream your dreams without limit, without anybody else's judgment attached to them. Don't censor yourself either. Just go for it. And the best way to do that, in, in my estimation, is to get the best education you possibly can, the best training in whatever field you're interested in. I mentioned before that, that acting is a very insecure profession. There's no security, there's no seniority, and many times there's just no rhyme or reason for why anybody makes it at all. And it can be discouraging to somebody who believes in training and education to see others who some 
somehow appeared to have fallen from the sky and become a great big screen star. But I decided a long time ago that I was in it for the love and in it for the long run. And I'll tell you the truth, it's my training that I hold on to every single day. It's my training. I went to a high school that just by chance had a wonderful drama department and I was taught well from the beginning. I graduated from Marymount College in Tarrytown, New York with a BA in drama and a, a double minor in philosophy and English. And I regret very, very little in my life, almost nothing. But I was asked to attend the Yale School of Drama for graduate school. Uh, I didn't go. I didn't go because I was simply too impatient. I didn't want to study anymore. I wanted to go to New York and I wanted to just do it and see if I could and I thought I could and I wanted to do it then, that, right then and there. I was in New York for about three weeks when I realized I had made a big mistake and I should have gone to school. Uh, there was no going back to Yale, but I did study with Wynne Handman, the director of the American Place Theater, and with Harold Klorman, the late, great Harold Klorman, in his classes, which he gave at midnight. I had been on All My Children. At the time I studied with Harold Klorman, I was on All My Children for about three years. And the classes were given at midnight because they were for professional actors working on Broadway after, after the curtain came down. And I was lucky to be the only actress from television that he allowed in his classes. And I had a husband who was willing to move into Manhattan two nights a week for three months and see me go run out of the hotel at 12 midnight and run back at 3 a.m. And uh, those were the most precious times. That was the most wonderful educational decision I ever made, was to study with Harold Klorman, who was the founder of the group theater, brought the Stanislavski method to this country, and is the uh, legendary director and critic for The Nation magazine. I actually got to meet the casting director uh, at ABC via the Miss Universe pageant. I said that I went to Marymount College in Tarrytown, which is, at the time was an all-female college, and still is, with the exception of some day students. In any case, all the productions were cast in New York so that the, we women were not playing men's parts. We were playing parts which were appropriate for us and therefore preparing us a great deal for what we would encounter in the real world. And during that time, I met an actor who was also a director and called me and asked me if I would enter that Miss New York State Universe pageant. And I made the finals, but I had to go and do the final parade in bathing suit at the Neville Country Club in the Catskills on the same day that I had to take my four-year comprehensive exams to graduate from college and get my, my BA. My father, who didn't want me to be an actress anyway, strongly urged that I get my degree. I'm glad I did. In any case, just after that, I met Joan Dincheco, the casting director at All of My Children. This was extraordinary, and I'll tell you why. Because at that time, 21 years ago, I was told that I should probably give up my dreams of ever being an actress, at least on television, because mostly people would cast blue-eyed blondes, maybe blue-eyed redheads, maybe a blue-eyed brunette, but certainly never a brown-eyed brunette with olive skin to boot and an ethnic last name. But somehow, somehow I didn't think they meant me. Somehow I thought, oh, I can change their mind. Oh, give me a chance. Or like in Tootsie, Dustin Hoffman saying, I could be tall, I could be blonde, I could be a girl. I just wanted to do anything. And I met Agnes Nixon, who created All My Children and so many other important shows on television. And Agnes actually had in mind someone who looked like me. And so I got a chance to read for Agnes Nixon. 
and I still have my audition script. It was a, a scene where a 15-year-old Erica was looking in the mirror trying to put on her mascara with her mother Mona breathing down her neck saying, forget makeup, Erica, you've got to do math. You have to have a math tutor. And Erica saying, forget math, mother, boys like makeup and pretty girls and let me do this. <laughs> Anyway, 21 years later, the night before last was the Daytime Emmy Awards, broadcast on CBS for the first time in, in uh, what they call primetime. I didn't have a chance to say the thank yous that I, I would like to say, and one is important for me to say now, because I think maybe there's, there's some value for your lives. I always wanted to thank my dad, because it was my father who taught me everything I ever needed to know about reaching for my goals reaching for them and knowing what's important in life and giving me all the tools to get there. My father was the best father a girl could ever have. He would actually introduce me at the age of 10 years old as Susan is the brains of the family. And I would look around to see, did he mean me? Was that me? And he did. And he'd say to me, Susan, you can do anything you put your mind to. And he believed in me. And he encouraged me in brain teasers. My older brother and his friends would be around our kitchen table. And my father, who'd always valued education, would throw out brain teasers. And I could see my father looking at me, hoping that I would get the answer first. And when I did, he cheered for me. And he made me feel like I really was worth something and had something to offer. And I think a, a lot of that spirit that my father instilled in me and the time he spent with me horseback riding. And when I didn't want to take piano lessons anymore, he took piano lessons with me, teaching me to draw. And we were always the first ones out after a storm, after a hurricane. My dad would drive around town to see if there was any damage to the town or any people who needed help. And he would take me with him, his daughter, I'm very lucky to have grown up in such a household. There's something else that I'd like to mention to you. I've never spoken about it before, and I don't mean it to be a downer, but there's such a thing called prejudice. And I've told you about how hardworking and terrific my father is and was, and I saw him be the subject of prejudice. I've never spoken to my father about this either, but it broke my heart because I grew up in a town with an ethnic last name and a dad who is Italian, and I, I saw everybody ask me, what did my father do for a living? Nobody asked anybody else, but they always asked me. And I saw people be suspicious of my father, who was really the kindest man I've ever known. And I tell you this because I realized at the time I didn't say anything, how small-minded that was of people. My parents provided me with a great deal of travel and and education and hoped that my mind would open. And here I saw some adults with very small minds. And I just want to say to you that you can turn those bad negative influences in your life. Some of you may have experienced this because it can come from anywhere under any guise. Turn it into a wonderful, powerful driving force for yourself. You can. And never become one of those small-minded people. You don't need to. You have everything going for yourself. You don't need to be fearful of change or anything different. If I had listened to those people, I never would have gone to New York, and I never would have gone to try out to be an actress, never, and my dreams wouldn't have come true. You have to take the initiative yourself and make them come true for yourself. I'd say to you, don't become an elitist. 
You have such a wonderful head start now. You have great brains, as, as Barbara Walters pointed out, and a great achievement in being part of this program this weekend. But don't put yourself into an elitist package. Rather, open your mind and become flexible and ever more curious. Embrace humanity. Always embrace. Take all these wonderful, exceptional experiences and let it make you the best human being you can be, the most flexible, the brightest, and the best. Dream your dreams. They say, they did say, when I was a young girl, the sky's the limit. But the sky's not even the limit anymore. You can be anything you want to be. I'm so proud to be in the room with you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. In the middle microphone. Ms. Lucci, I have a two-part question. First, I was wondering what you thought about the recent movie, Soap Dish. And um, second, I was wondering what kind of sense of humor, um, or how seriously do soap opera actors and actresses take the scripts? Hmm. Uh, well, I think Soap Dish is not based on any soap opera that I've ever been acquainted with. I think it's a farce. I think it's meant to be funny and there for laughs, and I think it is. And I think Kevin Klein in particular is a, a wonderful addition to, to Soap Dish. We do take the scripts very seriously, at least at all my children. We're on a stopwatch from the minute we walk in in the morning. A lot of people ask me, oh, do you outlive? Do you make it up as you go along? And I know in Soap Dish you saw those people actually playing out their own lives. Well, as I said, we're on a stopwatch because it is a business and because the commercials have to play. And that's very important for the business to continue. And most importantly, from an acting standpoint, we can't ad-lib because we have to know what each other's going to say. We have to know what the scene is about. Uh, if there's ad-libbing done at all and it's better than what's written, which is rare, although most actors won't admit that, uh, that's set in the morning. If I started to ad-lib, my acting partner wouldn't have a clue as to when to respond. And, and also, sometimes what we're saying are lighting cues and music cues that we're not even aware of. Thank you. Same microphone, please, young man. You said that you didn't have lib, Mrs. Lucci. Do you ever advise or put in your own word about what, what kind of script you want or what the character should do? Do you have any advice in the writing process at all? I think that the greatest uh, input I can put into, uh, you can tell I'm not a writer. <laughs> the greatest input I can have into scripts and what happens is what I bring to my character and what the writers observe uh, in terms of, of my work on camera. Agnes Nixon has very generously said that I've created Erica Kane with her. I feel that it was all right there for me in the character description. But I don't actually do any writing. Only one ad lib in recent memory can I remember. It was during a cat fight between Erica and Sira. And during rehearsal, and we worked, by the way, for three days with B.H. Um, Barry, the, the fight coordinator, to do this cat fight. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. Uh, during the course of this, we both realized, Jeannie Francis and I, the actresses, realized that we were both wearing these very beautiful, very expensive Donna Karens. And when we ripped the sleeves off of each other, we said, ah, my Donna Karen, you ripped my Donna Karen. And they said, good, keep that. So <laughs> we did. <laughs> One last question, please, young lady. Then. Um, I'd just like to say I have enjoyed watching you. I've grown up with all my children for the Thank past you. 18 years, and it's, it's neat to finally meet you. Um, I was Thank wondering, you. do people ever confuse Susan Lucci with Erica Kane, and do you ever find that that causes trouble? <laughs> it has, yes, it has. Uh, <laughs> some, 
Eric is not exactly hard to get, you know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> I have, um, a man tried to pull me out of my car once at a traffic light, pull me right out. And, and he was saying, give me a little bit of what you've been given so-and-so. And I laughed. <laughs> he said, don't laugh. I mean this. And he, and uh, bodyguards from time to time and stuff like that. But basically, it's most people, I think because of talk shows, most audiences now are just more sophisticated than they used to be. And they realize that we're actors and actresses playing parts. Except that lady in Georgia who wrote me on that garbage bag and said, dear Erica, this is for you, honey, because you're a piece of trash. <laughs> Susan Lucci, thank you so very much. Thank you.